to hide behind nothing. <laughs> okay. Well, welcome, ladies. Thank you for coming to yet another Bible study of conversations with Jesus, and this one is about God's love. <clears throat> there are two kinds of... Our conversation today will be about his love and what it means in our daily life. And the Bible re in our stories today refers to two kinds of love. Phileo love, which refers to esteem, a tender affection reflected in loving concern friends have for one another. Is that really loud, or is it just me? It's okay. It's like, it's like in a barrel. That's oh, okay. All right. Agape love, the highest form of love, selfless, sacrificial, unconditional, an attitude of God toward his son. And this God kind of love motivated by the Spirit of God, can be reflected in our love for others, expecting nothing in return. Characteristics of God's love. God loves whether we deserve it or not. God loves whether we respond or not. God lo God's love desires the best for us, and God loves us while we were yet enemies. In Jesus' conversation, he reveals God's love to each one of these individuals and meets them right where they're at. Let's turn to John 21 and we'll have our scripture reading. Starting in verse 1. After these things... Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you also. And they went out immediately and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore the disciples, the disciple whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It's the Lord! Now when P Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in, a little, came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, and, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with the fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153, although there were so many in the net, it had not broken. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. 
None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing it was the Lord. And Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, son of Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to share your word once again with these ladies. And I pray that what you have shown me can encourage their hearts and comfort them in your love, which you have lavished on us through Jesus Christ. Help me to be clear and correct in what I'm about to teach. Thank you, Lord, for the, always hearing my prayers and answering them. Amen. Um, <clears throat> We all need to see a little Jesus' love every day. Something to hold on to, something to give us security, strength to do the next thing, and something to rest in when we've messed up. I forgot all this thing. Okay. Again. Okay, there's love. There's our scripture reading. <laughs> I'll, I'll catch on. Okay. Um, now, on most occasions when Jesus is speaking, he doesn't say, oh, I love you, I love you. He oftentimes does it through real-life stories that illustrate his divine nature or in parables that illustrate the character of God's love. For example, like the good shepherd and the sheep, where the heavenly father is the same as the good shepherd who lovingly takes care of the sheep, or our father's love is like the grace and mercy found in the illustration of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And in the story of the prodigal son, we see the heavenly father's love, forgiveness, and unconditional love of the earthly father that in the forgiveness and unconditional love that the earthly father had for his son. And in the story of Mary and Martha, Jesus demonstrates his love and his compassion on Martha as he understands her need to be thorough and accomplish the task before her and her desire for some help. Also in the story of the rich young ruler, Jesus, Jesus demonstrates God's love and grace as he answers the question with a question that shows the man where he puts his faith. And the man understands very clearly what Jesus meant and goes away discouraged because Jesus was right. Also in Peter's life, God's love and mercy are never so vivid as Peter's failures, as it was in Peter's failures, not only before the disciples and Jesus, but is recorded for all time, for all to read and to draw encouragement from. These all beautifully illustrate the love of God and his abundant grace, a concept so new to the Jewish thought at the time, so captivating to their ears. In the world of the Jewish storytelling, Jesus created 
striking word pictures so that everyone could understand what God's love is like in ways they had never heard before. As, and as Christian women today, we can see Jesus speaking to us, encourage and to help us be encouraged and to find hope and strengthen our days as we set our focus on him and his word. Let's enter that world and see if we can be as captivated and encouraged as we see the love of Christ as first century Jews. For our first conversation, I will take you to Bethany, a small village on the eastern slopes, oh, I forgot, down there, of the Mount of Olives, just outside Jerusalem, two miles away. Situated on the West Bank, it would take about 40 minutes to walk there. Today is also known as El Azariah, which is an Arabic word and means the place of Lazarus. That is where Lazarus was raised from the dead, and it is the village where Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus lived. It is the route from Jerusalem that is interrupted by a separation wall. Bethany became a part of the West Bank Territory under Israeli occupation following the Six-Day War of 1967 and came under Palestinian authority in the wake of the 1993 Oslo Accords. The picture as we see today is how it looks. It wasn't one of the places we visited, and I don't think we had enough time, but it also was a little bit more dangerous. Um, as we turn to Luke 10, 38 through 42, let's do that. We'll read it. I gotta get this higher. Um, now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, that Mary, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Here we have Jesus' conversation with Mary and Martha. He is lovingly understanding her concern to want to get things done, but he wants her to spend time in worship with him. Jesus loves both women. They are different personalities. They are contrasted here not because Martha is doing something bad. Both personalities are essential, but Jesus is saying there's a balance. Worship is at the heart of all that we are and all that we do in the Christian life. It is also important that we are busy ambassadors. Taking the gospel to the lost is also essential to be good Samaritans, seeking to help exploited or hurting people who need God's mercy. And there are many other areas where we can be working and serving the Lord. But before we can represent Christ in our service, we must spend time with him and learn from him, and humbly go to him in prayer. Set our minds to see him, and remember our purpose in our work 
is to bring honor and glory to him. This is far more important than anything else we do. We need to be grounded by starting our day with the Lord. Whenever we criticize others and pity ourselves, for example, I'm the only one who does the nursery, or I'm the only one who's always the last to clean up after potlucks, or I'm the only one who cleans the church, or I'm only one of you that always volunteer. I feel overworked, and we can get burnt out. Now, there's always the ones who will work and always the ones who will let them. But when we are critical and looking at what everyone else is not doing and complaining, we need to examine ourselves first. Martha's problem was not that she had too much work to do, but she allowed her work to distract and pull her apart. She was serving two masters. If serving Christ makes us difficult to live with, something is terribly wrong with our service. There needs to be a balance, and the Lord is showing Martha love and compassion because she is obviously distraught. But Jesus wants her to see what comes first, what we do with Christ is far more important than what we do for Christ. Few things are more damaging to the Christian walk as to trying to work for Christ before taking time to commune with Christ. John 15:5 says, For without me you can do nothing. The key is to have right priorities. Jesus first to adjust our thinking and our hearts and our motives, then others, then ourselves. The JOY acronym. It is vitally important to spend time at the feet of Jesus every single day if possible, letting him have his end of the conversation through the word of God to transform and encourage us. The most important part of the Christian life is the only part is the part that only God sees. Otherwise, we can get easily distracted and busy and not blessed. 1 Peter 5 says, 5-7 says, casting your care on him, for he cares for you. We need to pray, Lord, help me to do this for your honor and glory, not mine. And be thankful. I have this privilege because I have a local church to go to. Help me do this service for you. Even at our homes, we can gripe and complain about whatever we think is unfair. Well, I'm the only one who, instead, maybe the Lord could help us to be thankful that I have this huge pile of laundry because it means I have clothes to wear. Thank you, Lord, for these dishes because it means I have food to eat. Thank you, Lord, for my job because it means I can pay my bills. Help me to used of you, be used of you there and give me strength and peace in it and bring honor and glory to you. I know these things well because I have prayed all of this and struggled with service before God and service without God. I am no better than Martha, my poor family and friends. Jesus is lovingly reminding Martha, and us too, that worship is first. We are ambassadors, neighbors, and worshipers, but the greatest of these is worshipers. 1 Peter 4.11, if anyone speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, do it, let him do it as with the ability God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory, dominion, forever and ever. 
Colossians 3, 1 and 2, if you then be raised with Christ, seek those, those things which are above, where Christ is. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And Colossians 3, 23, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as unto the Lord and not unto men. We can all identify with Martha. I think we fluctuate between both personalities. Remember, the Lord made us. He understands us. And if we fail, the Lord is patiently and lovingly calling us, just like with Martha, to himself, to learn of him, to worship him. Martha is not bad, which some have mistakenly felt insulted or discouraged with the story. We all need our Marthas. Many times activities like camp, vacation Bible school, young peoples, etc. wouldn't function at all without these Marthas. This evening, even, even this evening. So ladies, take heart. Jesus wants you to remember to put him first in all you do. In our next conversation, Jesus has with our friend Peter. Um, I gotta remember. Okay, did I? I skipped that. Oh, sorry. There's two there, and I, okay. I gotta get used to this. <laughs> I will take you to the Mount of Olives, where the first part of our conversation, oh man, it's the next slide. Okay, takes place. Sweating here. Then the events take us from the Garden of Gethsemane to Caiaphas' house and the Galeantu, which is located on the eastern slopes of Mount Zion, overlooking the walled city of Jerusalem. And this... Oh, man. Okay. There is a statue that reminds us of what happened there. The next events of this story will lead us to the edge of the Sea of Galilee, to the place where Jesus called Peter to be a disciple. And when Peter went with six, of other, six other disciples to go back to their former occupation of fishing after the crucifixion, we'll take a closer look at what happened there. We visited all these places, and I'll show you what I saw, what we saw. Nowhere is Jesus' unconditional love and forgiveness displayed more clearly than in the life of Peter. What an encouragement to us as we look at our own lives and when we feel like such a failure. Our story begins hours just before Jesus' arrest on the Mount of Olives. And this is a picture of the Mount of Olives. This, I took this one. I don't have anything great for cameras. Um, it was an amazing place. The view right there was stunning to start our, I wish I would have put more pictures in there to start our tour. Um, right there is the Temple Mount. You see the Dome of the Rock. You see the wall um, and the Garden of Gethsemane. And towards the foreground, the bottom of the picture is the tombs where people were the Jews are buried, the cemetery. Um, let's turn to Matthew 26, starting in verse 31. And all these events are recorded in the Gospels, so I'm going to jump around. So Matthew 26, verse 31. 
Um, here we are with Jesus and the disciples hours before his arrest, and Jesus tries to prepare them for what was going to happen next. Verse 31, all of you will be made to stumble because of me, because of what will happen to me. For it is written, this is the prophecy that had to be fulfilled. Jesus quotes Zechariah 13, 7, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And verse 32, this is the part they didn't hear. After I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. It is interesting. Jesus speaks directly to Peter. In Luke's rendition, chapter 22, you can go there, in verse 31 also. <clears throat> the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Jesus is saying, listen up, I said your name twice. Indeed, Satan has asked for you, Peter, that he may sift you as wheat. Verse 32, but I have prayed for you. Notice Jesus' love. Even when Peter is going to miserably fail, Jesus has not turned his back on him. Jesus prays that Peter's faith would not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Encourage the rest. Peter does not hear this, nor or he doesn't believe that he would let Jesus down. And he says in verse 33, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to, pr both to prison and to death. I will never leave your side, Lord. And the rest of the disciples also responded in support of what Peter was saying. We will do the same also. And then Jesus patiently says in verse 34, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me three times that you know me. The disciples were good men. They wanted, they all wanted to defend Jesus, just as Peter had said. But when Jesus was arrested and they saw what the soldiers did to him, they wondered what happened to Jesus' strength and his power. They questioned their beliefs in Jesus being the Messiah sent from God. And we do that too. When our circumstances loom heavy and we can't see a way out in fear, of the future, we question God. Is he really in control? What's happening? In fear and confusion, we just want to hide. We forget that we can run to the Savior who is always with us, even in our failures. He continues to love us, and in his word, he communicates to us of who he is. Proverbs twenty-nine twenty-five: The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Now we move to the Garden of Gethsemane as the final moments play out before Jesus dies on the cross, Jesus prays, and all the disciples fall asleep. Jesus wakes them up, and in verse 42, he says, Rise, let us be going, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus, Judas betrays Jesus as he led the soldiers to him, and they arrest Jesus. Verse 50, they 
Then all his disciples, they all forsook him and fled, just like Jesus said they would. Now we move up to the courtyard of the high priest Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, where Jesus was questioned. And the false witnesses testified and lied about Jesus. And then they had Jesus beaten and condemned to die. I just got to tell you this, really, I think it's interesting. We went to a place called the Israeli Museum, which I should have put here, but I didn't think of that. But um, there was a bone box, and it was the bone box of Caiaphas, the high priest, who hated Jesus. And today, his bones, his bone box, is a testimony to the, the truth that the word of God is true, that it's authentic, and what it says is really happened. And I thought that was interesting. Um, this, okay. Okay, I see. And, okay, I've got too many pages here. This is where Peter was trying to hang back in the crowd, warming himself by the fire in Caius's courtyard to see what ha becomes of Jesus. He sat at the nearby courtyard called today the Galiente, which means the cock's crow. The church is now, a church is now located on the spot where the place of the high priest once stood. The church is built to commemorate Peter's repentance. The statue has been put up to remind every, everyone why it is called this. How would you like a statue as a reminder of your biggest mistake of all time? <laughs> but we can do this in our minds when we don't forgive ourselves of the past. In Mark 14, verse 66, Jesus' words are fulfilled. Now, as Peter was in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and said, she saw Peter warming himself by the fire and said, you were also with Jesus of Nazareth, weren't you? But he denied it. And three times it happened, and the cock crowed just like Jesus said it would happen. Then in Luke 22, it records that after the last rooster crowed in verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord. 60, verse 62 says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. Can you imagine the horrible feeling Peter got when he locked eyes with Jesus? Peter must have thought, that's it. For sure the Lord has given up on me. And Satan, in his mind, was feeding Peter garbage like, you're a failure. You'll never be used of the Lord. God doesn't want you anymore. Let's be honest, ladies. Haven't we all let Jesus down at one time or another? I know I have. We have all had our turn at being stupid, just like Peter in today's world. And how do you think the Lord looks at you? How do you think Jesus looked at Peter? Do you think he was angry or upset? No, I think it was with eyes of love and sadness for Peter. Jesus knew Peter's heart. Peter was scared. They all were. 
Jesus looks at us the same way. And aren't you glad, just as Peter was loved, so are we. Now I will ask you another question. How many people have let us down? What is our look toward them? Do we look at them in compassion in the love of Christ? Or is it, how could you do that to me? We may have to ask the Lord for help in restoring our relationships. Start with looking at how the Lord deals with us. Well, in the meantime, Jesus is nailed to the cross and everyone is shocked. In fear and in sorrow, how could this happen to Jesus? And then he is buried in the tomb. And here's a picture of the tomb where some feel it is where Christ was buried. Today it's called the garden tomb. The, cut rock, the rock cut tomb was unearthed in 1867. The English Christian organization owns the property and they own the place of the skull, which is considered by some also as the place where Jesus was crucified. And the organization gives tours and that was our last day. And the guide, his name was Paul. He was just amazing. He shared the gospel and the message. He shared it, he felt it so intensely, he shared it with tears. And he gave the gospel very well. And his, that's his job all day, bringing people to these two places and talking about what happened at the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection for you and me. And all we have to do is accept it. Being there made it so real. It was refreshing to hear a clear gospel. Also knowing every day people go there, through and hear it multiple times over and over. Many tour groups go through there daily. And then they have scattered pavilions where you can go, take your tour group and have communion or sing hymns. And there was a church singing in one of the areas near our area. And they were like professional singers. It was so beautiful. Next, Jesus is resurrected, but our friends don't know it yet. Women visit the tomb, and the stone is rolled away, and the tomb is empty. And the angels say, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified? He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee and you will, there you will see him as he said to you. Notice Peter is specifically mentioned and the love of God is demonstrated in that the angels even mention Peter. Notice how the angels emphasize Peter just because Jesus wants to encourage him specifically. I love that. It makes me think of how personal the Lord is when he thinks of us in our failures. If we remain just angry or discouraged and feed those thoughts, we will stay there and miss out on the love the Lord wants to encourage us and heal us with. Also, it may not be the way we thought the Lord should work. It also, also it may not be the way the, we thought the Lord should work in our lives. But let's go and see how the Lord Jesus Christ has a conversation of love to Peter in his discouragement. Now I will bring you to the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Our tour, tour took us to a Franciscan Catholic church in Tabga, 
called the Church of Primacy of St. Peter Mensa Christi. Say that five times. It's a beautiful place surrounded by rich vegetation and palms. Anything, anywhere there's some sig significant something, they built a church on it. So I'm just saying, here we are again. <laughs> but sometimes, as uh, Randall Price said, it preserves the spot and that it ha things happen there. The church is right on the beach because it boasts of being built on the very rock that Jesus had his famous conversation with Peter after the resurrection and going back to fishing. It commemorates and allegedly marks the spot of Peter's conversation with Jesus. So the rock is considered holy ground and you cannot walk on it. Notice the signs. I don't know if you can read those signs, but one says holy ground and it says it in the front of the church. And then there's another sign off to the left. You can barely see it, but that says do not walk on the rocks. And um, that was one place where we were supposed to be all covered up and wear longer skirts. And one person didn't, but there were people, like, I don't know, that worked there, and they, they told her to go back and put more clothes on. And um, uh, and now in John 21, we read as our scripture, that we read as our scripture reading, we have a setting for what happens next. Peter goes back to what he knows best, and six other disciples go with him. And I'm sure he figures that his actions cued the end of his career with Jesus. And, I, and he knows he lied right in front of Jesus. No good rabbi, rabbi would take him back now. No fisher of men, but simply a fisherman. Have you ever felt like that? I have. But God's love is not like our love. We can't comprehend his wisdom or his love. He made us and understands our weaknesses. And Jesus says to us also, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren, encourage the others. He's our advocate in heaven. So here they fished all night and caught no fish. Peter and six other disciples, Peter's self-confidence and impulsiveness came out once again. He was sincere and worked hard with no results because there was providence at work. So on the shore, the man was, there was a man who asked children, and that's another term for close friends, did you catch anything? And they holler back, no. And not recognizing that this was Jesus, he told them to cast their nets on the right side of the boat and they would find some. And astonishingly, their net was so full they could not pull it into the boat. They had caught 153 large fish, the Bible records. It was John that recognizes Jesus first. It's the Lord, he yells out, and Peter puts on his garments and dives into the water. Splash! And he swims to shore. John 21, 9, as soon as they had come to land, they saw the coals of fire and the fish laid on it and the bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some fish which you have caught. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? And then Jesus 
serves them, and they all ate. It was the third time he saw Jesus. Wearsby says that Peter had already met with Jesus privately, no doubt had taken care of his sin. In Luke 24, 34, the Lord had risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. In 1 Corinthians 15, 5, he says, he has, and he was seen by Cephas, which means Peter, and then by the twelve. Earlier, Peter had denied Jesus beside a fire, and now, beside another fire, he was going to be restored publicly. Jesus' threefold questions are in direct contrast, du contrast directly with Peter's three denials. And I just thought I'd tell you that in the world of rabbis, this might help you understand a little clearer, in the world of rabbis and disciples, when, when the Jews, Jewish boys up till 12 years old, memorize the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, and then, you know, maybe one in a thousand can actually do that. So it's no shame, not, not everyone can do that. But then if you do, you can go on to the next step called Beth Midrash. That's from age 13 to 15. And then you learn more of the Torah, the Bible, or the Old Testament, excuse me, and their stories and all their prayers and things. And um, at age 15, that's a lot of work too. So maybe one in a thousand might get to that point. And so that, at that point, you can find a rabbi in which you can become their disciple. Now, all the rabbis want the best students, and all the students want the best rabbis, so it's kind of, you're kind of watching and looking around, and um, when you find a rabbi that you'd like to follow, you, you give them the shtick. <laughs> it's kind of like, you say, Rabbi so-and-so, you are a wise and godly man. Your reputation has preceded you. May I follow you? And the rabbi will, will say, oh, yes, my son, let me ask you, let me test you. So he asks him questions from the Old Testament, from the Torah, all kinds of things. And after he's done, he says one of two things. He either says, yes, my son, you may follow me, which means I believe you can be like me. Because when you follow a Torah as a, I mean, a rabbi as a disciple, a Talmudin, you want to be exactly like the rabbi. You follow him everywhere. And you, in case you, he says a prayer that you've heard or you want to see how he, what he says or what he prays and the wise words that come out of his mouth, you want to know everything about him. And so, or he might say, my son, you are a wise and godly man, but you should go into your father's business, which is no shame. It's just, you know, that you didn't make it into his um, discipleship. And it's a very prestigious thing to be honored by the rabbi when he says, you may follow me. So when I used to think, when I'd read, when Jesus came to the beach and went to, told the disciples, follow me and I'll make your fishes, they just dropped everything and followed him. And I'm thinking, wow, 
well, I guess he's God, but is because they were flunkies. They were fishing. And a rabbi Shua came and said, I believe you can be like me. Follow me. That was so prestigious and so honoring. That um, So th this is when Peter did what he did. It's pretty, pretty bad. So um, <clears throat> here we are. Jesus starts to ask Simon, Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Peter says, yes, nor. And Jesus says, agape love. First he says, Jesus, son of Jonah, do you agape me more than these? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I, that I love you, phileo you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. He says, says it twice. Jesus, Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? And Peter says again, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And Jesus says, tend my sheep. Well, I think at this point, Jesus is saying, Peter, do you, can you abide in my love and do you love me? And he looks at himself and what he did. Now he's very humbled and he says, Lord, you know I love you, but you know what I did. You know what I'm like. And he says, Peter, abide in my love. Do you love me? He says, yes, I love you, but you know what I'm like. You know what I did. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. And on the third one, Simon says, I mean, Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? And Peter's grieved. You know, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And his love was phileo again. They both said phileo at the end, which I think the Lord was saying, Lord, Jesus, Peter, abide with me. I accept your love. I abide in my love and I accept your love. And Peter, he still, I think, is so humbled by what he did. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And you know what I did. But then he realizes the Lord is saying, you can be like me. And I want you. Abide in my love, Peter, and teach and shepherd my sheep. He was sending him out. In the Jewish world of rabbis and disciples, there would never be a restoring. This is grace and love in all its splendor that Jesus is displaying to Peter and the rest who saw what had happened earlier. This is what we see here, ladies. No matter how we fail, how stupid we've been, God's grace and forgiveness can restore us as we humbly confess our sin. God does not just forgive and extend grace. His love reaches out to us. We, can, we have a choice to make, to take it or not. I'm not sure, but I wonder if Peter was so humbled that he would not even say he could love the Lord any higher, in any higher way, because he knew what he had done. He knew his weaknesses, and the Lord just meets him emotionally where he was at. Peter was now humbled and encouraged by the Lord and soon will be 
greatly used of the Lord in the early church, also in the two books he has written in First and Second Peter. And we have no idea of the good things that the Lord has planned for us or how he will show his love to us in our lives. The Lord says to us, abide in my love, John 15, verse 9. As we see God's love completely changing the Jewish picture and path of Peter's life, we know that as we learn about and see more of the love of Christ in our day, he meets us where we are at and just as we are. And it is his forgiveness and grace that motivates us to worship him and to find our life and joy in him. 2 Corinthians 15.4 says, For the love of Christ compels us. Interestingly, this love, this agape love Jesus talks about and the character of God is expressed, expressed in that love are the things angels desire to look into, Peter says in chapter 1, verse 12. They do not understand the love of God and they marvel as they watch us. Many have asked, why would a loving God allow sin into this world? And why would God make a sinner that would sin and rebel against him? Well, if sin did not exist, how would God express those virtues? Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Peter's living hope was because he tasted of the Lord's grace at the Sea of Galilee. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, Peter knew the grace of God, he experienced it, he believed in it, and his life was changed by it. Have you ever tasted this love that Jesus is talking about? This love for you and me? Have you tasted that the Lord is gracious? Have you seen what Jesus' love has done for you? Did you know that Jesus himself reveals the heart of God to Nicodemus in John 3? Listen to Jesus. For God so loved, agape the world, that you and me, these words are straight from God's heart to us. There is no higher authority that these words can come from. God's love. God loves the world, not just the Jews and the Americans, but the people from all over the world throughout history. Jesus is saying God's goodness and love includes you unconditionally. God continues, Jesus continues, that he gave his only begotten son for us. He was talking about himself and what he was going to do and his purpose out of love for us. Jesus then says that God purposed that all who believed. For Nicodemus, believe that the one who is talking to you now is the Messiah, sent from God to save you from your sins. For us today to believe in the finished work of that Messiah, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sin and was buried and rose again and resurrected from the dead. Jesus was saying to Nicodemus that by believing on me, you should not perish implying there's a perishing that the world is heading for. 
We most appreciate God's love when we realize our belief in him saves us from a perishing, eternal separation from God, the lake of fire. If we remove the perishing from our vocabulary, then the love of Christ is shallow. Jesus continues, God gave his only begotten son in order that all believers, the ones that put their faith in him, should not perish, but that all believing ones in him should have everlasting life. Life that is forever in close relationship with, him, with the Father. A life that will forever taste and see that the Lord is good and gracious. And Jesus is the only one worthy of our trust. No one else, not ourselves, not Buddha, not the Pope. We can't earn it ever. This is the offense of the gospel. God says, I don't trust your work to get you to heaven. I only trust in my son, Jesus Christ, to be your savior. Ponder this, Nicodemus. It's about who I am and what the Father has sent me to do because of God's great love. He sent me to be your Messiah. If you have believed, then you know you have a Savior who went to the cross for you as he did, as Peter saw and knew. He tasted and experienced God's great agape love in his life and believed in Christ's work for him. And Peter invites you all to do the same. Peter invites you to enjoy the same love of God that he did in salvation from sin and salvation in the Christian life as we see God's forgiveness and grace toward us. Man. I forgot. <sighs> well, thank you for listening. <laughs> uh, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love and that through your love we can have forgiveness, grace, and mercy through Jesus Christ. And not just for salvation from the perishing, but in our lives today as Jesus' conversations tenderly demonstrate his unconditional love to Mary and Martha.